Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, I've been with Vineyard 61 for about three and a half years, which means hopefully in six months I'll be let out for good behavior. Um, and I'm very privileged this morning to be um, opening this new series, as Viv said, on, on the Bible, on, um, on this thing here. Um, and like I said, um, let's start with that question. So this is, you know, one Bible, same content. How many versions of this do you think are on sale from one single Christian publishing company? 55? This is better guessing for my point than than Balaam did. Any more? Lower than that. You've ruined it. Um, There were 350. Thank you, Josiah. Oh, my gosh. So there's 350 versions of this thing, exactly the same content. Um, and again, just that's the first point to say, we, especially in the Christian world, we kind of know this thing is a, is a kind of a big deal. It is the wrong burgundy of books, if you will. Um, although they have no real way of, of guessing it, the Guinness Book of Re- Records puts this very clearly at the most bought by, uh, book of all time. So they guesstimate it's somewhere in the region of 5 billion Bibles have been sold. Um, on the way here, SP just said he ordered another 300 for church. So come on for the 6 billion. We're doing our bit. Um, and um, I think we also know from personal experience that this, uh, the Bible is a big deal. So or it's something that's in our, our consciousness the whole time. So a quick story. Um, I was on the way to work a few years ago. Um, and I very rarely read Christian books on public transport because they're just asking for trouble. And um, the trouble I don't want anyway. Some people probably love it, but I really don't. And when you're reading a book, it's kind of a sign of don't talk to me. And that's the double problem with Christian books is they sort of imply, please talk to me. Anyway, I was reading this book, um, and being the holy person that I am, it was how to study the Bible. And uh, this, this woman gets on, and it was back of the bus where you sit facing each other. And uh, I, she got on, she sat across from me, and, and she locked eyes with the book. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. And I figured at first instance, it would probably just be one of those awkward, like, she's just going to, you know, think I'm a weirdo for the whole journey. But then she actually asked me what the book was. And luckily, it was, it was clear from the title, How to Study the Bible. And, um, but it was genuinely because she was a Christian, and she struggled to study her Bible. And so she asked me what it, what, what it was called. Again, very easy, how to study the Bible. And she wrote it down. And, you know, for all I know, I hope she went and, and bought it, and it helped her. But again, it's this thing, it's in our consciousness. We kind of know we ought to read it. We kind of know it's really important. But I think there's another side of the story that most of us know. So again, stats fans, this is your opening. I, um, I did some more research, and um, I found some interesting survey data. So in 2017, some uh, Christian organizations surveyed about 4,000 Christians from different denominations around the country asking about various kind of religious kind of habits, Christian habits and behaviors. Um, and 55, so 55 and 100 people that were asked said that they never read the Bible. 
Um, and again, these, these were Christians who did pray more often and went to church more often, but they didn't, they didn't actually read their Bible. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe that's, that's, there's other reasons for that. But then I found a really another, another very strange survey. Um, I really don't understand why you do this survey, but some of you might know the radio program Desert Island Discs. Obviously, I'm too young to listen to Radio 4 still. Um, um, but <laughs> I'm aware of the program. So on the program, you come up with eight uh, musical tracks that you would take to Desert Island with you. Anyway, apparently as part of that, you also get given a free copy of the Bible, and you get a free, given a free copy of the complete works of Shakespeare. So again, a Christian organization did a survey and asked, if you were on this program, would you even want the free Bible? Which is just a very strange question to ask. But anyway, nonetheless, 49% of Christians said they wouldn't even want the free Bible. They just, you know, go with their musical tracks and apparently Shakespeare, and they wouldn't even want the Bible. And... um. I think there's, there's a, there's a, those, all that stuff together t paints a co quite a complicated picture of, of the Bible. We kind of understand it's important. We kind of understand we want to on some level, but we don't know how, and therefore it doesn't really manifest in our behaviors. And again, as I was preparing this, I was kind of thinking, there's something that's gone wrong, not so much with the how, although that's part of it, and as we get later in the series, we're going to unpick some of the how as well. But there's a big, big question of why, why would we read it? Why? We don't understand the why. Why always kind of tends to drive our behavior. And again, as um, I thought it was particularly important for us kind of in, in the vineyard. Um, so as I'm, I'm new to the vineyard in the sense of this is my first vineyard church when we joined. And one of the things I love the most, I've grown the most in, is the celebration and the kind of experience of the Holy Spirit and Jesus with us now. And it's so, so important. But again, it begs the question of if we have God and Jesus with us now and the Holy Spirit, why do we bother reading a book? Like, how do we place a book about the past and past things in an understanding and the Christian life that's very much powerfully driven by the present and our experience? So all that to say, I really want to kick off um, this opening series by really starting to unpick this question of why. And like I said, when we get um, into some of the next sections and of the next four weeks after this one, we are going to look at more practical things. But my hope for the rest of this morning is to get you wherever you're at with the Bible is understanding a bit more of like, why do I read this? And if I don't, is there a reason that I don't understand why I should? And if there are reasons why, amazing, hopefully we can give you some more. Um, but uh, I also wanted to share you a bit of my personal experience of how I kind of got to my understanding of the Bible. So again, another story. About 10 years ago, um, I ran into all and broke both my wrists. Yep, true story. And um, I can't go into that right now, um, but people often ask me two questions straight away. One, was I drunk? No. Two, could I see the wall? Yes. So I'll leave the rest to your imagination. Anyway, so I, I was at home recovering, and I had quite a lot of time on my hands. And that's when the Bible suddenly becomes a bit more appealing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, like tidying a room. The, the orts in life get a bit more appealing when you have a lot of time on your hands. Um, and this is a 100% true story. Um, I, uh, I was sat on my, a chair in, in my room at the time, back staying with my parents, and the Bible was on the bed. And I, I genuinely, this is 100% true. I remember looking at the Bible, you know, we kind of locked eyes in sort of a Western-style um, film. And um, I was just like, I, I, I should read it. Like, I, I, there, was, there was a level of want there, but I was like, I should, I should read it, but I, I, there's something wrong here. And kind of what I realized 
um, is that I was, um, and by the way, I'm going to unpick this. So before you find what I'm about to say heretical, it's not, I promise. Um, but this was my personal experience. I would um, I'd come to my Bible, and I'd open it, and I realized this is what would happen. And then I'd close it again. And then I'd... And then I close it again. And I, you know, I would have done my reading my chapter or whatever it was. Um, and then the next day, I'd, I'd sort of come back to it and I'd pluck up my courage and, and do it again. Um, thank you, Mark. Um, and again, all that to say, um, because I was rightly and, and fully correctly taught this was, you know, there was an inspired word of God, I was holding it in such a, and it seems the wrong word, I was falsely holding it as this scary book that I didn't understand. And I knew I should open it, but I had no real clue how. I didn't really know what it was in it. Um, and actually, that sense in my mind was putting me off reading it. And uh, even though, um, again, it was based on some good truths, um, which I you know, still maintain, it actually made it very, very hard for me to read it. Um, and therefore, it got very, very confusing for me. And again, in that moment, what I thought is, um, I'm a letter writer. I love writing letters, handwritten letters. They're amazing to get. They're amazing to send. And I knew enough about the Bible to say, hold on a minute. Um, there, I know in the New Testament, the second half of it, there are some letters in there that various people, but especially someone called Paul, wrote to various churches, why don't I just open it and try and read it as if it was a letter? Um, so not get tripped up over every single word or get very confused, but just read it as Paul wrote this letter to the church, why don't I read it like I read a normal letter? And in that moment, genuinely, something shifted. Um, and it, again, it was all because I began to understand a little bit more about what on earth this thing is I was reading. Um, and therefore made it much more easy for me to understand and read. And why? Because I wanted to read what Paul was saying to the churches. So I was having a think how I can hopefully demonstrate this a bit more um, this morning. And um, my wife and I recently went away traveling for a bit on a mini sabbatical because I'm just about old enough to need one of those. And, um, and we had to pack up all our stuff. And we haven't got loads of stuff, but um, we had you know, a bunch of books and kind of important things. And as we were packing up, half of it went to have to go to storage. And therefore, we were left deciding what is important for us to keep right now. What is important that I might want tomorrow um, or the next day or the next day? Stuff that I don't want in storage. Um, and then, you know, and that's what we, we have with us. And I just want to show you some of the things that, um, that, that have kind of gone in our box, as it were. Um, so, for example, I always keep with me journals. So from missionary trips and just throughout life, I keep journals of my kind of experience of life. Um, I keep some books, um, which are kind of books of instruction about things that I feel God's called me to do, um, which are always helpful for me because um, they're things I want to be doing all the time to refer back to, to remember how God, I feel God wants me to live. Um, I have uh, some biographies of some of my heroes of the faith. They kind of inspire me about their lives, how they interacted with God and their callings. Um, I had a wedding invite to me and Jen's wedding, which again kind of, I thought, reminds me of the promises that have been made over me, the promises I made that I can rely on for the future. Um, 
If we go to the next pit slide, I've also got a picture of myself when I was very young uh, with a plasticine Tracy Island, which is kind of all about my, you know, my Genesis story before it all went wrong. Um, I have, uh, I've, I have things of hard-earned wisdom. So this says, get wall, which my friend sent me when I ran into a wall. Um, really important wisdom from life to never forget. Um, again, I have, um, I have the West Wing, it's nothing theological. Always carry a copy of the West Wing, wherever you are, it's very important. Um, and again, I have, I have some bigger, some deeper books, so kind of theological books that grapple with some real tricky stuff of who is God, what does the Bible say, how do we kind of do life in response to that. And again, if you go to the next slide, as I kind of thought about that, um, I suddenly realized they're all separate on my shelf, and therefore I know the purpose of each of them, and I know when to go to them. And I thought it's really not that dissimilar to exactly how the Bible has been put together. So again, in terms of, and again, this is just a metaphor, I'm not really trying to draw direct comparisons here, but I did find it quite interesting how similar these things were. So the first one in terms of my childhood photos, um, again, it's kind of reminding myself of a purer time, of more innocent time, which is in many ways part of what Genesis can teach us. Maybe a good paraphrase of Genesis is what happened when we were still cute. That's a good summary of that one. Um, there are hundreds, or tens and tens of biographies in the Bible um, of throughout Exodus and Esther and Ruth and the Gospels of heroes of our faith that we can learn from. Um, again, really similar to the biography that I have. Um, there are books, How to Live My Calling, which you know, this is a bit of a big statement here, but a lot of the laws in the Old Testament really aren't about moral right and wrongs as such as they are God calling us to live in a certain way because of who we are and who he's made us. There are deeper theological books that grapple with hard things like Job and Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. There are journals and experiences of people through life, like the Psalms and Lamentations that we can go to. There's collected advice, like the Proverbs. There are letters, as I've mentioned, a lot of those in the New Testament especially. Um, and then maybe the marriage invite is kind of similar-ish to the prophecies in the Old Testament that we can rely on, that we know were made, may not fully come true, some have come true. And again, I just thought, for me, this was a game change because it meant... Um, instead of seeing, when I looked at my Bible, instead of seeing um, before all the individual ones, all I saw was a single thing. And when you think about reading this thing, it looks quite, well, very compact in this case, but uh, quite dense and quite difficult. And like, what on earth am I reading? Whereas my shelf is actually full of separate things, so I know where I want to go to. And again, that was so important for me to actually understand there's not one kind of single why I would open it. There's not one single reason, but actually it's partly related fully to what's within it. And actually learning to understand what's within it is super important um, to actually understanding. And in reality, you know, just to finish off my illustration, this is exactly all the things that are in my thing are, are what's in the Bible. So another thing I would just wanted to share with you this morning, and again to repeat, um, I really wanted to kick us off the series by really exploring the why. There's so much, even from that illustration, that we'd love to go into to unpick more of what's in the Bible. And some of that will be coming um, in the next few weeks and unpicking how. But I really wanted to start unpicking, again, this question of why and having you all reflect on why do I read the Bible or indeed why do I not read the Bible um, and start to unpick. But I did want to leave you as well with two very specific. So I did think at the start of the year, um, the start of 2020, um, 
leave you with two particular reasons why that I hope might be helpful for you, um, again, in exploring where we're going to go as an organi organization, as a church, sorry, um, slipped into work mode there, um, where we're going to go um, as a church, as individuals, as a community. So the first one I want to propose to you this, this morning is, um, in terms of why we read the Bible, go to the next slide, thank you, is it's about our imagination. So a belief in God's desire and ability that is founded in the Bible will not be limited to what you've seen so far. So if you go to the next slide, I want to take you through a couple of scriptures to unpick this. So this is a quote um, that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus uh, to non-Jewish Christians. It's in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, and it says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Um, and that's an amazing verse. Um, it's a verse that I know a lot of people draw a lot of strength from, which is really, really positive. But, I mean, the first teeny, teeny how I would just offer you in terms of how to read the Bible is always, always just read a bit more around the particular verse you might be uh, reading about or trying to learn about. So the next slide has got that same content at the bottom, but I just want to show you what comes a little bit before Paul wrote those words. So this is verses 8 to 9 to begin with as well. And Paul wrote, um, this grace was given to me, meaning him, to preach to the non-Jews the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was hidden in God. And he talks more about this, and then this is his concluding paragraph that we just read. This is what causes him to say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, bleed glory in the church in Christ forever and ever. Amen. And I'll just unpack this uh, as quick as I can. But what Paul is saying here is that in the history of the Jewish understanding, his own, um, including his own before he encountered Jesus, um, the Jewish understanding was that um, the Israelites were God's people. And the prophecies were all about God bringing his kingdom back to the Jewish people so they could again be God's people, they could prosper, they could flourish. Um, and it was all the promises and everything was geared up to the Jews again being restored to their rightful place. Um, and one of the things that Paul understood and Jesus spoke to him particularly through is actually that was only half of the story. That was never the full intention of God in the Bible. Actually, the, the Israelites were the first part of what was doing in a much, much bigger plan than he could possibly understand, which was actually to bring the kingdom, to bring God's love um, and God's choosing to every single person in the world, including the non-Jews. And this is what blew Paul's mind. Um, and actually, if you unpick a lot of what Paul is saying, he's trying to unpick this is how you make sense of the fact that God has done so much more than thousands and thousands of generations of, of the Jewish people understood. And he completely blew their imagination. And again, it's all particularly based um, on, on first their own experience of God, but actually God saying, I'm so much bigger. I can do so much more. I will do so much more than you can possibly imagine. My plans are so much bigger than yours. Um, uh, one of the vineyard theologians particularly calls this a biblical imagination. We had some friends over for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and there were two of them coming, and um, the door rang, and one of them, only one of them was there. And uh, she came in, and we said, oh, where's, where's the other one? And, um, and, and the other one... <laughs> The other one had, when they were coming to our house on the bus, had spotted a group of young people on the street and was like, I'm just going to get off the bus and go and tell them about Jesus. Like, that is a one example, in my mind, of this biblical imagination. 
Like that person had so many ideas that God could do so much more than they could imagine that actually they were like, here's an opportunity. I have that imagination. I'm going to just get off this bus and go speak to them just for five or six minutes and then and came over to ours afterwards. And I was really challenged by that. I'm really challenged. I don't have the best biblical imagination. I kind of see the world as I've seen God so far. But again, that's because it's based on my personal experience. The more I read the Bible, the more I soak myself in the resurrection as well as all the amazing stories in the Old Testament the more I'm challenged to expand my imagination. So this is the first thing for us, why, and I think it especially fits in with these 21 days of praying and fasting. Whatever you're going to pray about, collectively or individually, times it by 10. If you're hoping to have one or two people where you work or where you spend your time to come to know Jesus, pray for 20. Um, if you're, yeah, whatever it is, blow your imagination. And what I'm suggesting is don't found that in your personal experience don't found that in what you've seen God do but found that in what scripture tells us the stories of the Bible that God has done in the past where he completely has blown the imagination of those who thought they understood him so that's the first one I'll leave with you with imagination and then the second one this morning is is the other side of it, which is consolation so what I'm saying here is um, a confidence in God's faithfulness that is founded in the Bible can stand when suffering overcomes you. Um, so if I take you to another uh, reasonably well-known one scripture with some people. So this is written by probably the prophet Jeremiah in a book called Lamentations, which is in the Old Testament. And it says this, uh, uh, the prophet wrote, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And, um, you know, I love this verse. Many people love this verse. Um, there are songs about this verse. And, uh, again, I just want to show you, for those of you who don't know, just this is literally what comes right before the prophet wrote these words. Um, right, so li literally the verses before, this fully flows on. Um, the prophet writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the pain. My soul continually remembers it and is downcast within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And again, I've added a little bit more detail there, which is Lamentations is, all, is a poem all about the destruction of Jerusalem, the holy city, their home, their home city that's so important to them culturally, religiously, personally. And this is, the whole book, if you read it, it's very, very depressing. But um, it's actually not depressing because this is in the apex, right in the middle of the book. It's the apex of the book. And the, he writes, the steadfast love, the Lord never ceases. And um, the more I think about this, it's probably up there with one of the most, most challenging verses in the entirety of Scripture. Because the question is, how on earth did the author write those words in what he was going through? And... Um, I think there's only really two options. One is that um, he just chose to be, um, shut his brain down to reality and just cling to some false, false hope that wasn't real and just write something to try and placate him. Um, or, which I suggest he wasn't doing, or um, he was so steeped in the stories of the Old Testament, he was so steeped in the stories passed down through generations and generations that we can read about in the Old Testament of what their God Yahweh had done in the past, 
that he could hold firm to those stories. He could hold firm to his knowledge and his memory of God doing those things and testimony of other people of God doing those things. That even in the most utmost suffering, he could stand and say, I will call this truth to mind. I believe in this truth. And it was not in any way, shape, or form based on his personal experience. And whilst he wasn't denying his personal experience of pain and suffering and, and the deepest anguish, he was still calling to mind and trusting in God's faithfulness simply based on the stories of the Old Testament. Um, this is the one I kind of in some way resonate more with in a sense of... Um, I still find it so hard when, you know, friends and family and just the utmost suffering goes on in their life. Um, so often, like, unexpected death of, of a parent or a loved one. Um, and you just... Um, and I'm saying this in... Uh, you know, it breaks my heart, not in any way that this isn't how they should respond. And they just suddenly completely at least temporarily have to walk away from God. And again, I fully understand that in some ways that might be a healthy thing to, to do temporarily. But the question is, how can they come back? How can they even sustain their faith in those times when they're questioning God? Why, why have you done this? Why, why is this happening to me? And I just want to propose one of the reasons is because um, or how we can even sustain those things when suffering overcomes us is our knowledge of the Scripture. And again, the person that wrote this um, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't even have Jesus and the resurrection, which we have to bring us hope and bring us trust of who God is and how faithful he is and how there is nothing in the world that will stop him from bringing his kingdom and bringing his love to all of us. But actually it sustains them through the hardest times because they knew about the Exodus. So, for example, sometimes when um, I'm very weird, so I really love reading the Old Testament at the moment, um, because it is really hard, don't get me wrong, but it, it reminds me and it teaches me and it helps me recall all these stories that we do not talk that often of the amazing things that God has done. Um, throughout the Old, the Old Testament, the Jews are reminded that God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And what they're not, they're not just saying, um, you know, that's who came before you. They're saying, remember all the things God did with those people. Um, a few, uh, probably about a year ago now, I, I just was reading through the Old Testament and was getting, uh, again, helping me, challenged me on my imagination. And uh, I remember coming to church the next morning and in ministry time, just going and praying to people saying, um, you know, maybe we're praying about your employment at the moment, but remember that God we're praying to is a God that parted the Red Sea. Like, do we realize that? And that's in no way we should be praying for all the things we want to pray for, but that's how big our God is. That's how big that when those times happen that we're not sure where he is, that actually he's the same God that brought all the Israelites out of Exodus, out of Egypt, through the Promised Land, and all the incredible stories and providence of the Old Testament. So again, that's, that's the second thing I just want to leave you with. Um, if you go to the next slide, for those two together, is um, God's faithfulness can be found in the Bible, can withstand suffering. So that's what I want to offer you this morning to kick off this series of starting to think through why, why do we read the Bible when we have the Holy Spirit? Why read the Bible? One, for our imagination. A belief in God based in the Bible is so much bigger than what you've seen so far. And again, the consolation. So our confidence in God's faithfulness to us, to our world, is so much stronger when it's based in the history in the Bible, which is a record of what he has done before and what he will do and is continuing to do again. So I particularly um, thought this hopefully is a helpful thing at the start of the year. So I don't know, um, I'm going to fight the band up um, as we kind of transition, but I don't really know um, what your year was like last year. 
maybe you had the most amazing year and you got, saw God do so many wonderful things, and that's amazing. And what I want to offer you this morning, what we want to offer you this morning is times that by 10. Expand that imagination so God can do more this year than he did last year. Um, and equally, um, if you had a really, really horrible year, so much suffering, whatever, or people around you, then one of you this morning is a consolation of the truth of Scripture to say that, um, again, these next five weeks, but also this year, how are you going to, or here's the, the offering anyway, to found your faithfulness on Scripture to sustain you through um, those difficult times? Um, so what I'm going to ask um, the guys to do is, is pray, uh, sit well, pray and sing that song um, over us again. Again, forgotten with Waymaker, that's the one. And um, again, the invite first this morning is just to sit and as you look forward to this year, maybe even look back on last year, the where are you on those two things? Are you in need uh, or challenged by imagination and you want your imagination to be boosted as we go through this 21 days of prayer and fasting? Or you're in the place where, where you're needing the consolation, where things are difficult, you've been overcome with suffering, and you need the consolation of Scripture and what God has done in the past to trust that He is going to come good again in the future. Um, and then after that, I'll, I'll, I'll just come and remind you, after we've sat and just prayed and, and connected with God and the Holy Spirit about that, if you want to come and have prayer for any of those things, um, to stand firm in consolation or to have your mind blown in imagination, then please come forward and we love to pray for you um, and the band will continue worshipping but for now just sit with your God and, and see where you're at on those two things Thank you for listening to this week's podcast Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.